How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you can you can be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Welcome, everyone, to Chasing Giants, brought to you by Biofarm.com with Don Higgins, episode 62. It is April 25th. Don, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Terry? Good. I think we both, uh, we didn't talk much before we hit record tonight. Both of us are pretty uh, tuckered out today after a long weekend of working, so, um, but we're still committed to bringing uh, content to everybody on a weekly basis, so this would probably be one of them weeks we would have skipped if, but... We'd hear about it if we didn't post one for tomorrow morning. Yeah, we're committed, so we're going to do it. But after church today, I spent the uh, all afternoon and most of the evening working on food plots. And I think you had softball practice, didn't you? Well, I had uh, I had your uh, buddies Joe Johnson and Al Foster uh, in from Illinois staying with us this weekend to turkey hunt on my place. So the last two days I've been up at 4.30 and – trying to uh trying to get them on birds and uh then yeah we had softball practice tonight so i'm i'm tuckered out well me too i was uh in iowa yesterday finishing up my last consulting visit had about a six hour drive home and i'll tell you what i was beat by the time i got there i think you're probably ready to uh, be off the road for a few months aren't you for sure yeah i think i drove uh I had it. I wrote down my mileage when I started back the first of December, and then uh, on my truck, and I checked it, and it's twenty three thousand five hundred and sixty two miles. When I, <laughs> when I stopped yesterday, eighty one properties in twelve states. Well, at least you, uh, at least you got all that out of the way, so you don't put all the miles on that new Duramax we got from Chris Yates coming. So at least you got that all out of the way before your new truck shows up. Well, I almost wish it was on the new truck. <laughs> trade it in every year and get another new one that's right so we'll talk a little bit about what you uh did in the in the field today um and then uh, i got some i got some news about my place we'll we'll talk about for a little bit well i uh i'm trying to get my corn plot in so i i spread the urea which is uh granular nitrogen i spread that dissed it in um then start hooking up the planter i had to uh, change the, the seed meters on the on the planter um i had a sprayer that, that goes on the front you know where the bucket goes on the loader yeah and uh i had to clean it out and and uh do some work on that and spent about as much time preparing for the planting as i did planting but still not done but uh I should be able to finish up my corn tomorrow. 
Yeah, I learned a long time ago. I had a um, I had a three point sprayer. I think it was a Femco brand. It was one that you could buy like at Rural King or something that had a I don't know. It had two booms that folded out that. Do your uh, do your due diligence when you uh, get done spraying in the summer and uh, wash it out real good and rinse it because man, if you if you leave chemicals in there, it'll cause issues with your nozzles and your pump. Yeah, well, I didn't do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent most of the afternoon jacking around with a sprayer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, always hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, yep. uh, well, you know, we uh, we pulled up to the farm yesterday morning. Of course, uh, Al and Joe had never been on my place before. And, you know, we lease it out to a local farmer that, that bails the alfalfa off of it and rotates it out. So um, he, uh, he wanted to make sure he had the farm leased again for this year because I was debating putting the whole ridge in corn this year. Not the whole. I would have left some in alfalfa, but um, Jonathan was thinking about raising sweet corn this year, and so we pull up in the dark yesterday, Saturday morning, um, a little after. I guess it was about five, five thirty, and I pull into the middle of the field, and every single bit of that alfalfa had been turned over. He had done plowed it all, so that was a that was a shock to us all. So, yeah. uh, so he's. Uh, that farm was originally set up to hunt where the food plots and the blinds and everything are. If you remember, it was originally set up when it was all a tobacco farm. So all the, you know, I had entrance and exits through the tobacco, especially in early season. And it hunted different when all of that big ridge was alfalfa and was getting ready to change things around again. But I called the farmer after uh, 8 o'clock and Joe and Al were still back hunting and uh, he's going back to putting tobacco on the farm this year. So I'm going to have to change my game plan a little bit. So not the end of the world, but just going to change up what I'm planting where. And uh, um, I think early season will probably even be a little bit better this year because uh, I'll be able to hunt different spots and have better access in and out through the through the tobacco field. Hmm. So that was well, a little... Tobacco is something I have no experience with. Yeah, Um while it's still standing before they cut it, um, you can you can get in and out real real good. It's it's about like having corn there, so um, so it gives me gives me cover. And of course, there's nothing there's nothing in the tobacco field that the deer are going to eat, so you don't have to worry about deer being in the middle of it. So they have uh, they have what's called stick rows, which is the spacing in between the rows where they drop the sticks in. That has uh, they're a little bit wider, and you can you can just walk right down those stick rows and pop out on the other side of the field and uh and get into your spot so and then it'll give yeah. us it'll give us a good place to you know put fall plots in on a cover crop so i'm sure i'll have a bunch of harvest salad and deadly dozen out but uh but yeah a little bit interesting when we pulled in it kind of I, I still think it kind of messed up the turkey hunting a little bit because you know i'm we were kind of counting on uh those birds coming out on the knolls uh and, and uh being on that alfalfa Yep. But uh but uh we we still got on some birds so they didn't have they didn't close the deal on me. I, I was I was telling you before we got on here um you know I'd never hunted with Al or Joe either one but uh on Saturday morning they were hunting on the ground back on an oak flat and two jakes came in with a hen 
and you should you'll have to get uh Al to show you the the footage he took off of his cell phone. They had for three hours those two Jakes putting on a show within twenty five thirty yards of them for three hours. And I, I told I told both of them I said I don't know of anybody that would have sat there for three hours and either not shot the Jake or spooked it away just so they could move for three hours getting locked up, and they weren't in a blind or anything. So uh, those two boys sat there for perfectly still for over three hours yesterday. So they tipped my hat to them. I would have I would have probably rolled one with a shotgun if 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 they were in front of me that long. Yeah, for sure. I'm not a turkey hunter, but uh, I wouldn't have put up with it for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, um, now that uh, now that your consulting visits are over, I guess looking back on it, um, what are some kind of takeaways that you've seen as far as you know? There's always there's always some consistencies that you see that's kind of a pattern from people. But what what's some takeaways now that consulting seasons over that you might be able to share with people that that uh are listening well you know every every property is unique and every client's unique too but i did 81 properties this winter and uh there's some things that i see quite a bit I, I don't see it with every person but uh you know there's some tendencies that are fairly common um and I made a short list here to go over this evening. And, you know, probably one of the biggest things is that everybody wants to think too small or a lot of clients want to think too small in terms of their food plots, their sanctuary, just everything. They, they want to micromanage their property. And, and, you know, one of the things that I always tell them is to think big, you know, big food plots, big sanctuary. Um, you want big bucks, think big. And, as much as you can sacrifice on the property, right? What's that? As much as you can sacrifice on the property. You know, some people are still using it as working ag farms or something like that. But right. as much as you can sacrifice to, to give to the deer for food plots or cover, give it to them, right? Yep, for sure. Uh, another thing I see a lot is uh, they people have a tendency to overcomplicate things. They and I think uh, we've talked about this, you know, time and time again about uh, I think the Internet um, and some of the information out there um, overcomplicates it. And killing big deer is easy. It really is. But there, there's some things you got to do um, and keep in mind. And you do that, and, and um, it's not hard at all. So I see, you know, folks trying to overcomplicate it with all these different gimmicks and you know tricks or whatever you want to call it to little projects they want to implement all over their property um and then it kind of leads into the next one too you know i don't think people fully uh, a lot of clients don't fully appreciate uh, the impact that human intrusion has on a property right and uh, so those two kind of go hand in hand right I well, preach you, it on a daily basis. Well, if you remember, we had quite a few people stop by the booth in Shipshawana, and I don't know if you remember, uh, two two younger gentlemen came, and one of them even questioned you on that that uh, statement that killing big bucks is is easy once you kind of you know figure it out, and he kind of questioned you on that, but you know 
it, it went back to if you keep hunting the way that you're hunting and only seeing two and three year olds, you're not going to consistently do it on older age structure bucks. They're just they're a different type of animal that won't tolerate it. And yep. and you might get you might get a, a shot during the rut with one coming through or chasing or something like that, but to consistently do it year after year, it really I mean, I can even I'm not shooting two hundred inch deer obviously, but the age structure since since we kind of figured it out, um, yeah, I think I do have a good chance of killing a target buck on it, but but I hunt it completely different than what I used to. It's it's not even close here. You're uh, actually, I told Al today, um, he said he would really like to come back and understand the property. Cause you know, where I live, it's, it's much more hilly than in Illinois. And he said, oh, I'm just not sure how the, these ridges and funnels and shelves work. And I told him, I said, I don't even know back in there. I said, nah, I've been, I've been around my wife's family in this farm for 25 years and I've never stepped foot in there. And he just laughed and he said, you've been around Don too long. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, there's parts of that farm I've never even been in the woods on. So um, it's just, it's a different mentality and uh, a different way to hunt those animals. Well, I'm probably as conservative as anyone when it comes to putting pressure on the property, but I learned that lesson the hard way because I ruined a lot of properties figuring it out. And now I, I, I wouldn't say I go overboard the other direction, but uh, I definitely err on the side of caution for sure. There was a there was another comment I want to ask you about that was uh, I overheard you talking to somebody that came up to the booth in Shipshawana and was asking about their property and it wasn't a large acreage property but you flat out asked them at the beginning of it um, what their goals of the property were and how much they were willing to basically sacrifice staying out of it um, walk us through a little bit about why you asked that question and the intent behind it because. Uh, you know, that, that also goes into your decision on whether you think that you can help the client or not, because you're not going to go over, you're not going to go and do a consulting job if you don't think you can help them. Right. Right. But, and, but talk, and, talk a little bit about what you were meaning with what's your goals out of the property and then, uh, how much are you willing to sacrifice of the property? Well, I always like to ask what the goals are because, uh, you never know what the answer is going to be. And, you know, one time I had a potential client that had 40 acres and he wanted to shoot booners every year. Well, the problem was, is he had three other guys hunting the 40 with him. There was four guys on 40 acres and they wanted to shoot a booner every year. And, uh, it takes a special that, 40 acres. It takes a special 40 acres to even have multiple wind directions, much less three hunters. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that leads right into another, uh, it's actually a conversation I had at the Ships You Want to Show with Tony LaPratt. Uh, him and I were talking, uh, and, you know, one of the biggest issues that he and I both see on these consulting visits is that a lot of these properties have way too many hunters on them. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the people seem to think that, Oh, okay, I, I enjoy spending time with my buddies so or my family or whoever. We're all going to hunt here. And, yeah, there may only be one, you know, 170-inch buck, but if one of us gets it, that's fine. Well, what they don't understand is that 
there may be 170 inch buck there, but as soon as five of them come to hunt that property, he's gone. None of them are getting. Right. So it's not like you're just taking the bucks on that property and you're dividing them between three or four or five, however many people. Yeah, you start putting that many people on the property, you just ruined it for everybody. You're, you're not shooting the bucks that you could have. Well, and it comes back down to what are your goals. If your goal is to have a family property and deer camp where everybody gets away and has a mini vacation and sits around a campfire and then goes out and hunts, and that's that's one thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't, I don't, I don't think that you can have both expectations that you're going to do that and have a small piece of property that's going to produce, you know, five and a half year olds or older every year. It's tough anyway. Yeah, I mean that's just uh, you. You got to listen to the person's goals, and if they're unreasonable, I mean, I just want to talk to them about it before I take the money. You know, I right. let them know, that, hey, you know. Something's got to give here. Either you're going to have to, uh, you know, come down on your goals just a little bit, or you're going to have to change how you're managing the property. And I remember one of the guys said, you know, I just want something, some place that's close that I can take the kids hunting, and that be just my place for the kids. And that changes your objective with with what you're going to set up and and how you would help him set that farm up versus him going in trying to manage it for a certain age structure. Yeah, we'll, we'll just try to, to get some stands for every wind direction and and uh, get deer staying on the property and some food plots strategically placed so that, uh, you know, the movement patterns are huntable and things like that. It's totally different if you're trying to grow the biggest bucks possible. Um, that's a whole different ball ballgame um, as far as how you manage the property because you got to grow them. That, that's another thing that uh, kind of uh, – um, misconception that a lot of clients have is that they'll just create this super property and they'll just pull bucks in for miles away in every direction. And it doesn't work that way. You got to grow them. Right. Uh, I mean, you're not going to, if you're dependent on pulling in deer to, to shoot, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You're going to have to graze the deer. Um, you know, start when they're young, pass them up, uh, hope your neighbors do the same or hope that the deer stay safe during gun season or whatever and make it to the next age class, but you got to grow them. You're not going to just pull them in from here, there and everywhere. Right. Yeah. It's a great point. I mean, it's, um, and it just comes down to what the journey or the, the goals of those, those, uh, people that's hunting that property are. It's, um, you know, it's, and it's really hard to start out in the sport and go to the point that you're at that, that stage where you're trying to do it all in that much when you don't even know how to hunt yet so uh everybody's gotta everybody's gotta quit listening to the social media experts a a little bit in my opinion and start setting realistic goals for their property their journey their their experience level and then go from there take it one step at a time there's you know uh, nobody started out at the top right i guarantee i I shot a year and a half old bucks and at one point and and everything in between so just well uh, make a journey out of it yeah exactly it's like you don't the golfers or the fishermen don't go and just start you know shooting you know par golf i mean it's it's i don't know why people continue to expect to to take that leap in in this sport it's it's tough anyway Mm mm-hmm 
you know, the occasionally even the golf hack will get a hole in one. I think the, the that same analogy is true with a guy killing a whopper. You know, it's it, it happens occasionally, but consistently doing it, it's a little bit different, different, different ball game. For sure. Well, so uh, with the corn planted here uh, this weekend and coming up here the next couple of days, uh, how long are you going to wait to plant beans? You going to get well, them out here pretty soon? Yeah, I th- we got rain in the middle of the week and next weekend in the forecast. And I'd just as soon wait, get into May, get some warmer temperatures, get them soil temperatures up. And uh, this seems like the beans germinate a whole lot better. And um, being as I'm not harvesting for a crop, you know, I, I don't care that uh, when they mature, as long as it's before the frost. Right. Um, so. Be a little no, while before you do that. Beans, but I just want to get this corn in. Yeah. Well, I bought a uh, I bought a new adapter for the front of my side by side this week to to put the broadcast spreader on. Um, I did buy that two row uh, planner, but it needs uh, some work, and I just I haven't had time with everything going on with the Lester's feet project, and um, it needs some work and some new bearings put in it. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have ground ready, and I'll probably shoot for about the end of May. I'm guessing on my beans, that seems to be the the sweet spot for me to 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 plan on my place. So mm-hmm. I still got quite a few weeks to get get everything ready on my side. Yep. So, speaking of Lester's feet, uh, any updates there? Um, the online auction through um, SC Online Sales has done absolutely wonderful. Um, I didn't do a very good job and prepare um, um, my notes for our uh, our, I guess, live podcast in front of everybody last week. But um, I'm going to hear in a little bit. If those of you who are listening that want to mail in a check, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave some uh, mailing addresses in um, for people who just want to mail in a check versus uh, go online and create an account at sconlinesales.com. But um, uh, the overwhelming response at the Ship Shawana show, I'm telling you, there is some great people in this world, and especially in northern Indiana. Um, just the people that came by the booth and even, even the ones that bought tickets or didn't buy tickets, just the people that were supportive of the whole thing that we're doing, uh, really means a lot. And, uh, I think we got a, a bunch of really good, uh, feedback, uh, from everybody. Didn't you sell about $10,000 of tickets to that? Yeah, it was just, just under, um, that's just at the show itself. So I, I don't even know the total that we're at when you combine the online sales. Um, at, so, uh, you know, it, it was really important to us that, um, you know, we left this as it was still anybody who buys one ticket has a chance to win something, including the hunts with us. So it doesn't matter how many tickets we sell. Um, every dollar is going to go to help a family somewhere. Um, so, um, it just, it, it means a lot, you know, just, just a, a couple thank yous to go out, um, pro talk outdoors. They actually, you know, the guys that follow that podcast, they have a TV show on carbon TV called in a rut. They actually are giving up one of their sponsors, uh, commercial slots that they get paid for. And the next episode of in a rut that they're publishing is going to have the, uh, Lester's Feet Foundation commercial that we had produced by Tony Moronis um, out of here in northern Kentucky. They're going to run that as an actual commercial on their TV show. 
uh, for mm-hmm. me. And then I was on their podcast talking a little bit about the uh, the charity raffle last week. So I want to I want to thank uh, Dave and JP. They've been good friends to both of us for a long time. And, they have uh, for sure. And I want to thank them. And then our friends at Midwest Whitetail, uh, Jared Mills, reached out to me, and and they're uh, promoting the the charity raffle on Midwest Whitetail. So they're publishing all of that for us. So um, and then um, we're going to be in the Busy Beaver magazine uh, coming up. Uh, that ads our uh, one page ad has already been submitted and done. And then deer and deer hunting, um, we have you know really good partners there, um, both with your writing and then we we advertise with them from Real World. Um, and did the land management guide that went out to everybody. Um, we got a note from them this week that they were running a half page ad for the charity raffle this week. So it, it means, it means a lot that, that different groups or different companies are even willing to give up income. You know, when, when, when people put this in a commercial spot or they put it in a ad place, you know, they're giving up revenue from someone to help out this cause. So that's just as important as somebody buying a ticket. And I don't take that lightly. So I, I do really appreciate it. Um, if, if everybody's got their pin, uh, since I didn't do it last week on the, um, on the podcast, I'm going to get ready and give you guys some information to write down for, especially our Amish friends listening on MTech. Um, it's, uh, one ticket is $25, five tickets for a hundred dollars. And all you have to do is mail in a check and write the check out to S C online sales. So that's Sam cat space online space sales. And in the memo line, you're going to write Lester's feet. So you'll either buy, just put like a piece of paper in there and say, I want to buy one ticket or, five tickets or 10 tickets, but it's one ticket for 25, five tickets for a hundred. And the mailing address that you'll send this to is SC online sales at one seven zero six West main street, Robinson, Illinois, six, two, four, five, four SC online sales, 1706 West main street, Robinson, Illinois, six two four five four so um i wasn't prepared up in front of we had a huge crowd in front of us last weekend and i wasn't prepared and had the address with me so i wanted to make sure i did that today but um you know the other thing that we need to mention on the podcast um um, those of you who are following the ward family um the little one uh ended up getting an infection this week and she's in the hospital right now and it's delaying um a lot of her treatments and I just, I, I, it, it breaks your heart to, uh, to see, um, you know, Karen Ward post an update and you can tell she's just hurting, you know, because what well, I think she mentioned that, you know, everybody else's kids are posting pictures of T-ball or out playing or whatever. And, you know, both of her kids are fighting for their life right now. And, uh, so just want to lift up that family and, and little Tinley and little Adley in our prayers. That's, um, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it sure is. I seen that post, and uh, boy, you, you could just tell the mother was uh, struggling. Yeah, and I just encourage all our listeners to uh, keep that family in your prayers. Um, especially, you know, those of us who are blessed to have healthy families. Um, 
just imagine if, if he was sitting there in, in a hospital with two of your kids uh, fighting for their life. So all prayers are appreciated. Yes, sir. Well, with that, uh, why don't we move on to the buyfarm.com property of the week. Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. Okay, this week's uh, featured property is, is another online auction. This online auction closes Thursday, May 27th at 8 p.m. It's for 80 acres in Washington County, Illinois. Uh, 66 of those acres are tillable. Um, but I'm telling you, when you look at it uh, from the aerial um, that's posted on the biofarm.com website, uh, that 66 tillable acres, I think, is in eight or nine different fields. So uh, it's really broken up. Uh, there's some terrain features. Um, you could do a lot of different things with this property. Um, there's home sites. You could, uh, you know, create a lake even with the terrain features that are there um there's farm income it would lay out good for hunting i mean it's kind of a blank canvas with all those different little fields um you could turn some of them into cover with crp and others into food plots um there's a small cabin already on the property um so all kinds of possibilities um the the property is uh, just southeast of Nashville, Illinois, about eight and a half miles. Um, it's only about an hour from St. Louis, too, so uh, just off of 60, Interstate 64. Uh, anyone in the St. Louis area that might be looking for a recreation property, uh, this would be a good starter property at 80 acres. Um, a lot of times these auctions, you can uh, get some bargains, so right. go to buyfarm.com and check it out. Uh, if you want to see the property, the agent... Uh, is Don Bailey, and Don's phone number is 618-919-1031, and I'm sure he'd be glad to show it to you. All right. So Washington, did you say Washington County, Illinois, buyafarm.com, and that auction closes on May 27th, so you still have time to talk to the agent or possibly go look at it. So uh, reach out to Don Bailey or visit buyafarm.com for more information. Yep. Well, while you were giving that update, um, I did pull up here on uh, on my phone the um, the Ward family's uh, Facebook page, and they did transport uh, little Adley. Um, it looks like they were loading her in the ambulance to transport her to uh, back to Cincinnati. They were at home when she got put in the the hospital. So, very serious situation. We appreciate everybody praying for that family. It means a lot to uh, to them and and to us. It's a uh, um, just heartbreaking. So, um, I'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll share that. Um, when, when there's an update about how things are going, I'll share that on my social media and on the Lester's feet page. So if you're following either one of those on, um, on Facebook, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, share that one. So people get an update on what's going on. So with that, do we have any, um, uh, listener submitted questions to go over tonight? We got a bunch of them, and I, I picked uh, three of them for for this evening. But uh, we gotta get I'm caught there. back up because we got in a whole uh, master class, uh, and then the and then the live show at Ship Shawana. So we're we probably got a hole to dig out of here. We got a bunch of them, but folks keep on submitting them. Uh, we'll we'll do our best to get through them. But 
The first one this evening comes from Nick Booley from uh, Hannibal, New York. And Nick says, hey, Don and Terry, thanks for all the wealth of knowledge you provide. I listen to every podcast multiple times, as well as watch every video on Higgins Outdoors. But my question is to Don, how long have you owned your 120-acre farm, and how long has it taken you to get it to where it is today as far as habitat improvements? And is there more work you would like to have accomplished on it? And one other question, is there any particular reason you haven't purchased more property around you, or do you feel 120 acres is enough to hold and grow plenty of mature bucks? The reason I ask is I've got a farm of about 500 acres now, but I've always told myself I want to own my own farm very soon and want to know what acreage I should buy. I was thinking around 100 for a start. I have had great success with my properties now just by using the info you guys put out. Thanks again, guys. You are, you sure are one of a kind. I guess that was a compliment to us, Terry. We're well, one of a kind. I'm going to take it as that. We appreciate that. And, and Nick, those are great questions that, unfortunately, I don't know that anybody has the answer to. I'm, I'm interested to hear what Don says. But we, we do get this question a lot, especially at the shows. Um, how many people brought a map up to the booth that they were considering buying and said, what do you think? Um, so we get this question a lot. So, uh, so this is a great question that, that we get faced a lot, Nick. I appreciate you bringing it up in the, in the compliment. Uh, there's a bunch of questions in this, uh, this submission here. How long long have you, how long have you had the farm? Um, I've had it about 30 years, but it was actually my grandparents' farm. So I've actually been on this property basically since the day I was born. Um, my mom was actually born in the in the house where I live, uh, which was my grandparents' house. So I've been here for a long time, but I've owned it about 30 years. Um, how long has it taken to get to you? Well, about 30 years ago when I bought it, I started doing some habitat projects. Uh, and you bought more pieces from the original though, right? I did, yeah. So originally, originally it wasn't the full the full 120 acres that you have now. No, my grandparents only had 30 acres. Um, When I bought it, I bought another 10 for a square of 40. Um, That was 30 years ago, and it wasn't too many years later that I bought uh, another 80 next to it. So uh, that's the 120. Um, You know, it it took me when I started. You know, I was thinking. Um, in terms of five years, I, I th- I'd sit in my stand and I'd think in five years, this place is going to be pretty good. And, you know, next year it didn't seem to be much better. And I'd sit there and in five years, this is going to be pretty good. And one day I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, this place is pretty good right now. But uh, it, it took about 10 years with the, a lot of the projects were creating cover. And if you've got cover already on a property, you can develop it a whole lot quicker. Yeah, um, a whole lot faster, yeah. If you got to put food there, that's a lot faster than trying to create cover. Right. Uh, yeah, because you're you're doing switchgrass fields and big trees, and you know it takes a while for that stuff to mature. That's that's not a that's not a one summer project. Right. Um. There's something here about adding to the property. You feel 120 acres is enough to hold and grow plenty of mature bucks. Well. Now, I tell everybody 
I, I get a lot of people sending me, you know, emails of properties, links to uh, listings of properties that they're considering purchasing and they're wanting an opinion on it. And, and you know, the, the most important thing to look for is not the property itself, but what's around it. Right. And I use the analogy that you can have a five acre field that's absolutely nothing but bare dirt. And if it's sitting right next to a thousand acre no hunting sanctuary, well, guess what? You can turn that five acres to something really, really special. So you need to look beyond the property that you're considering purchasing and what's around it. On the other hand, you could have 500 acres of, you know, just the most perfect whitetail habitat in the world. But if you're surrounded by a bunch of killmongers, <laughs> you're going to have a hard time growing big deer. Right. So, so what's around the property is way more important than how big it is or, or even what's on it. So uh, you can you can create a, a you know, good habitat, but yeah, that's you where can't they, change what's around it. That's where they talk about some farms are only 70 acres or 100 acres, but they hunt like they're 300, you know, yep. or, you know, we got a 200-acre farm and it, it can only hold one person because of how the layout is or how the access is. So every property yep. is a little bit different. Yep, for sure. So uh, I guess that answers all of Nick's questions. Um, but yeah, we, we, we get to, we get those questions a lot. If, if I had, if I had a dollar or a raffle ticket for every time somebody pulled out an aerial at a trade show and says, what do you all think? <laughs> um, you know, we, we'd have a pretty good chance to win one of these prizes in the raffle. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, I like your analogy though. It's, 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 it's beyond the farm that you're looking at. It's, you got to do your homework on what's around it. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, good question, Nick. We appreciate it. Uh, next question comes from Caleb Vaughn from Barnhill, Illinois. Um, Caleb says, I have a question for Don. I have heard you talk about many times that the hardest mature buck to kill is your first buck. My question is, if you had to give one point of advice to kill your first mature buck, what would it be? Oh, one piece of advice. Um, you, you got to hunt them where they spend their daylight hours. Um, and that usually is going to be where there's no people. A mature buck would rather have one acre of cover to himself than to spend his daylight hours uh, in a 500-acre woods with a couple of hunters in it. It takes very little human intrusion to, uh, you know, put a, a mature buck on red alert and cause him to bed elsewhere. you got to hunt them while they spend their daylight hours. And there's a lot of other things that, you know, I could easily have said, too. you got to learn to play the wind. Uh, would be another one, but, uh, you know, he, he makes reference to the fact that I, I've said many times the first mature buck you kill is the hardest one that each one gets just a little bit easier and just a little bit easier. And I think that really just boils down to experience. Um, yep. yeah, as, as you kill a few, you, you obviously have spent more time in the woods and, uh, it just seems to me that it each successive one becomes just a little bit easier than the one before. Yeah. I mean, it's just part of the, the natural growth of, of learning, um, you know, with Al Foster here this weekend, I mean, you talk about 
you talk about a guy who was very early in I mean, he was one of the pioneers, in my opinion, from from what I've read, coming out with articles on you know really how to hunt big bucks. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was there was a few back then, but you know he was he was writing stuff even when the the deer numbers were not even even close to what they are now in Illinois. And right. we we had a cookout last night, and we're all sitting around out in the garage after we ate, and you know it's it's we started talking a little bit about, you know, it's one thing to find even a location to hunt, say on a piece of property where you have entrance and exit and you can get there and hunt that stand with the right wind. But what makes the the spot special is when you find that place that you can get to without boogering anything up, but it's the same spot that a buck thinks that he's safe in. Mm-hmm. that's when you find the magic spot. You know, it's a spot you can get to without putting intrusion on the farm, but then the buck still thinks he's where he needs to be um, and he's safe. That's that's the tough part of it. And once you finally figure that out, I think it's a whole lot easier. But, but and, Al, Al was one of the first ones to even talk about that. Well, I've said it many times that Al saved me 10 years on the learning curve. Yeah, I met him when I was about, I don't know, around 19 years old. And uh, I'm telling you, in, in one summer, I, I learned enough from him that it just it set me ahead 10 years from where I'd been right. the season before. But, you know, it's it's I, f- I find it, you know, when when uh, we we'll just look at look at what happens uh, come velvet season and from velvet season to. Uh, opening weekend how many people are posting really good bucks that they get on trail cameras in the middle of the night and my Mm. thought is is okay well they got night pictures of them but if they're not hunting where that deer is bedding he can he can be four farms over and they'll never have a shot at him right so that's where your point is is even though you're getting pictures of him in the night being one farm off of where he's bedding um, reduces your chances of killing him by a lot. I say it all the time. You're one property off. Your odds of killing him are ten percent. Yep. So good questions, sure. Caleb. All right. Next question is from Nick Hansen from Peoria, Illinois. Nick says, "Don, I was just watching your videos and podcasts." It's a stark difference from the shows and authors I have been subscribing to, and I must say refreshing. <laughs> My question is two part. <laughs> he must have heard the he must have heard the uh, can you be a Christian and vote Democratic comment last weekend. <laughs> I didn't hear too much. Well, I did have a couple of issues I had to delete from social media this week. Yeah. Um, Actually, more than a couple. Um, there was two. There's two clowns from Kentucky that they don't come out and mouth off, but just little. It's almost like it's a private joke between them. And I, I meant to ask you about them, Terry, because you got you might know them. But mm, anyway, to, back you'll on have to track. You have to tell me about that after we get offline tonight. Um, my question is two parts, and it comes from a recent video I watched. Do bucks and does bed together? And how to tell the difference in bedding areas. Second, can you define a staging area and do you hunt them? Should they be hunted? How to hunt them? I'm getting conflicting info. 
Thanks again. Keep up what you guys do and don't change for anyone. <coughs> I think that's another uh, compliment, Terry. Well, he can be assured that we're, we haven't been bought and sold yet, so it ain't going to change at this point. Nope, we're who we are. So let's see. Uh, do bucks uh, and does do bucks and does bed together? They do all, all the time. Um, they both want to be with us safest. Um, they also want to be uh, close to food if possible. Um, I don't know who came up with the crazy idea that you know they they separate. Um, I mean, during certain parts of the year, they certainly do. You know, in the summer, the bucks are in their bachelor groups and the does are raising their fawns. But uh, when we start start talking about the hunting season, um, you know, the bucks move into where the does are, and they bed with them. See it all the time. Um, it's just another one of those. It's a perfect example of what I was saying earlier about the, the trends I see with, with consulting clients, and, and they've read this stuff, they've seen it on the Internet, and they buy into it, and it's just not true. Um, you don't need to go in, into your property and create spots that, that does only are going to bed and other spots where bucks only are going to bed. Um, they bed together. I see it all the time. So that answers that question. Um, second, can you define a staging area and do you hunt them? A staging area basically is a lot of times a buck will get out of his bed. He will head to in the afternoon and he'll head towards a food source, but he doesn't want to step out into that open food source um, until it's dark or right before dark. So he will hang up just inside the cover, um, close, still very close to the, the feeding area, but just inside the cover. Um, it, it's a great place to hunt, actually. Uh, you're, you're way more likely to, to catch a mature buck in a staging area than you are in a food plot. And yet everybody wants to put their stands right on the edge of that food plot you know, thinking the buck's just going to waltz out there. Well, you know, a lot of times he'll wait till dark and he'll wait in that staging area. And a lot of times you can find those staging areas by there'll be a lot of rubs because as that buck's standing around waiting on, on him to get dark, um, he'll start, he'll rub trees or whatever. So if you can find a, a lot of rubs close to a feeding area, um, then you're, you're likely in a staging area and definitely good places to hunt. Or oak flats and areas that that are commonly considered that. I know that's what we have around here. We'll have a little oak flat and we'll have just a ton of rubs around it, and you know we'll see yep. uh, see them stage up. The problem that we have with the uh, it might be more where we're located with the topography is the, the staging areas are a little bit tougher to hunt because uh, getting in and out it's it's tougher not to booger something up. So. Just because it's a mm -hmm. staging area, you still can't forget your entrance and exit. Yeah, that's that's for sure. No matter where you're hunting, but in, in ag country, um, a lot of times those bucks stage up just before they come out into those ag fields, and mm -hmm. it's actually easier to hunt that staging area than it is a bedding area sometimes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So appreciate your question, Nick. All you guys will be getting uh, Chasing Giants t-shirts. Uh, a lot of sizes are out of stock again, but I've got an order coming in. So if, 
if uh, I've used your question here recently and you haven't got a T-shirt yet, uh, be patient. They are coming. Yep. Do we still have any hats in stock? Yeah, I got just a handful of hats. So anybody that wants those, um, you can order those online as well. Yeah, we don't uh, we don't necessarily want to be in the apparel business. We do this because we've been asked so many times. So be patient with us. It's not something that we uh, are normally uh, managing stock inventories and stuff. So we we uh, definitely don't want to be in the apparel business. But we know a bunch, right. bunch of people want to want to have it, and and we appreciate people wearing the brand. That means a lot to us. For sure. So, all right. Well, we got anything else that we want to talk about before we? Get off the uh, line for the, will this be the last episode of, uh, this will be the last episode of April. It'll be May when we're talking to everybody the next time. Well, well I'm, I'm ready to, done consulting, so I'm ready to get my food plots in. I'll be working on that. Tomorrow I'm headed to real world. Uh, we got our, tomorrow's probably going to be our biggest shipment day ever in the history of real world. Um, we're going to have... I'm taking Robin with me. Wes and his wife, Madison, will be there. Janice will be there. And um, I think Madison's cousin will be there. So there will be six of us boxing up. And uh, I forget how many hundreds of packages of mis- just Miscanthus alone, not counting the other orders that came in over the weekend that we've got. But uh, right. it's in the hundreds. Yep. So the UPS man's going to have more than one truck tomorrow. So. Yep. So, well, you'll have a busy day tomorrow. Um, I am uh, wish I could help, but I'm four hours away. <laughs> well, if you want to drive up, I'm sure we'll still be working when you get there. I'm sure you would be. So uh, we appreciate everybody's support. Um, again, um, it's, um, it's, it's humbling to know that this many people um, not only support what Don and I are trying to do and be kind of – different like uh i think it was nick was it nick that said it um um one of the guys that asked the questions today um we well take, actually there was two of them yeah, we, we we take pride in that but um you know unfortunately we we see what this industry really goes about doing and and um you know we just we really just want to help people and that's 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 our true intent so um for all of the you guys that are sticking with us and and uh even even maybe not agree with us, but hopefully you appreciate that we're we're sticking to our values, and uh, no matter what the uh, the hunting industry might have to say about it, it means a lot to us. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, for sure. And just because you disagree with us on one issue, you hang around because you'll probably agree on the next one. And uh, you know we got to find that common ground and and stick together when we can. And um, Terry and I are blessed to be given this platform and, you know, we're trying to, to do some good things with it. Um, the Lester's feet, uh, charity that Terry has started is fantastic. Um, you can see why I selected Terry to be part of this podcast is his heart's in the right place. And, and that's really what we want to do with this. We want to help people help you guys, uh, hopefully kill more and bigger deer, but, uh, you know, also, um, you know, help these families that are struggling with sick children. And I think Terry, you mentioned that the, uh, at ship Shawana at that show that, you know, we're looking for other families to help. So our sure. listeners out there, if, if they know or, or have a family member or 
or know of someone, um, we would just as soon help someone who is a listener of the podcast and, and a stranger that, that we've never heard of. Yeah, we're, um, I mentioned that on the last episode that, you know, we consider all the listeners and supporters to this podcast family. And, um, you know, if you know of a situation, we actually got, I think, about four uh, messages with some um, with some needs that now, um, you know, it's going to be a couple weeks now before we have uh, more revenue coming in from the from the Lester's feet or yeah, from the charity raffle. But what's going to end up happening is um, the board of Lester's feet. It's not just going to be my decision or Don. We have a board of directors that will review um, these situations and talk to the families and, and figure out what ways we can continue to help. So we've, we've gotten a lead on a couple more families that we're reviewing and, uh, we'll be helping as soon as, um, um, as we close out everybody's contribution to the, uh, to the raffle. So we look forward to that. But again, if you, if you have a family, uh, that you know of or go to church with or know of that, that could use some help, please, by all means, make that introduction to us, and you can send that information to me on uh, any of the social media um, platforms on Instagram or, or Facebook. So it's, it's, it's amazing that every single time through this whole process, Don, whether it's been the podcast, your YouTube channel, or even the Lester's Feet, every time there was a challenge or an obstacle – a door opened. And, um, I think that's a, I think it's a lesson for us in life. It's, it's, God's going to continue to open up doors. It's just whether we decide to walk through them or not with faith. Yeah, for sure. And I know there's, we ruffle a few feathers from time to time, but, uh, we're here to make a positive difference. And, uh, occasionally we step on some toes, but, uh, that's just because we speak the brutal truth, but, but we're here to help people. So, all right. Well, with that, won't you uh, take us out and thank our sponsors and we'll talk to everybody the first of May. Sounds good. We want to thank our sponsors, biofarm.com, 360 hunting blinds, victory, Chevrolet, wildlife farming.com, quiet cat, Matthews archery, real world wildlife products, vortex optics, lone wolf tree stands, and Vengeance Camo. Hope you all have a great week. See you next week.